Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today uh, in remembrance of Star Wars Legends, otherwise known as the EU or Expanded Universe. This is Star Wars E-Eulogy. My name is Alice Kira. I use she, her, and fair pronouns, and I have very limited knowledge about the EU. And I'm Spencer. I use uh, they and she pronouns, and I've read over 180 Star Wars Expand Universe books. Awesome. Uh, what book did we read for this episode? We read Star Wars Young Jedi Knights Heirs of the Force is a young adult novel published in 1995. Yeah, it, it certainly is all of those things. I have a question. So when I type that out, do I do Star Wars colon Young Jedi Knights colon Heirs of the Force? I believe... Is that like the official way to do it? I think so. Let me... Let's see how it's listed on Wikipedia. Because I figure they probably have thought about this more than we have. <laughs> oh, but they list them all as just... I don't put the mm. Star Wars at the beginning. That's the real question. I think they just call it Young Jedi Knights, but it obviously has the Star Wars sitting at the top. So... Well, wrapped around. I, that's how I would do it, is just yeah, okay. double colon... I think that's the funniest way to do it, so that's how I prefer to do it personally. Yeah. I, I, the only other way you could do it is put the Star Wars in parentheses before all of it. Mm-hmm. Just put yeah. in parentheses Star Wars and then Young Jedi Knights colon Heirs of the Force. But Cool. So, let's get into this book. The whopping 217 pages... Star Wars fiction. Yup. Well, uh, what did you think? I think it was uh, ludicrous at a lot of points, but in a very fun way. I had a lot of fun with it. There's some parts uh, I don't think aged very well, but other parts are very cool. Yup. Uh, I think it, it's one of those things that in some ways didn't age well, but... Because I read it, not quite when it came out, but long enough ago that I don't, uh, you know, I wasn't sure how it would have aged. I think it aged better than it could have by quite a bit for being a young adult book that came out in 95. Yeah. Um. Uh, do we want to talk about maybe the characters first? Sure. Because I feel it like... At least it is important. Yeah, it's the 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 first of the heirs of the Young Jedi Knights books. So it set a lot of spent a lot of time introducing the characters that 
probably will not have to have that time spent in the future books. I'm um, yeah, at least not as much. I think they do a lot of reminding when they first meet characters, but I think mm-hmm. this had more setup of those characters than we'll see if we read other ones. It also did a lot of reminding of things that happened in the main trilogy of Star Wars. Yep. Which I think was interesting because that kind of signifies they're like, oh, this might be people's first exposure to what Star Wars is. So we have to explain to them how Star Wars happened and all the events that they would have seen in the movies. I agree, but I don't know that it does a very good job of that. In that there's a lot of things it doesn't explain that I feel like you might need to mm-hmm. if this was going to be your first introduction to Star Wars. Because I'm not sure they really explain very specifically early on what Jedi are. No, no, they don't really explain what Jedi are. They don't really explain what the Force is. Uh, they mostly have like awkward recaps of the events in the movies without really details about them. Yup. Um. Which I'm fine with. Made it a lot easier to just recognize those parts and skim right over them. Yup. The children of Han and Leia are two main characters, or twins, Jason and Jaina. Yeah. We learn that Jason has an affinity for plants and animals. The boundaries of plants and animals are kind of hazy in Star Wars, apparently. (laughs) And also an affinity for really bad jokes. Yes. Very, very bad jokes. But his uh, twin sister, Jaina, has more of a bendy towards mechanics and spaceships and stuff like that. And... She's a little bit more confident in her ability to decide what to do than Jason mm-hmm. is. Yeah, she's she's definitely the more competent of the two twins. Yup. But it's not just about the twins. We also meet some other legacy characters of people from the main series, like uh, Chewbacca's nephew, Lobaka. Yup, otherwise known as Loey. And Loey is a 19-year-old Wookiee, which is the equivalent of like a 14-year-old human, I think, is how old Jason and Jane are. Yo. And has an affinity for computers and programming. Mm-hmm. Loey, because he is a Wookiee, cannot speak common, so he is partnered with the love child of C-3PO, MTD, I think it was? Yep, MTD. Who is a small droid that fits on a clip on his mm-hmm. belt that I do think probably has the best joke in the whole book, which is that he says he is fluent in over six forms of communication. Yes, that was delightful. Um, when my girlfriend found out I was reading this book, she was like, yeah, I love that joke. That's my favorite part of the book. They really put the emphasis on six. It's in italics and everything. Yo. And then there's also one more kid, Tenel Ka, who is the best character in my opinion, but also I'm a lesbian. So the, the confident, muscular, Dathomirian warrior woman is kind of oh, yeah. a foregone conclusion to be the best character to me. I would agree that Tenelka is the best character, but I'm also biased because I really like where she goes past this book. 
I think she... That's cool. So I really like her from that. So I was trying to figure out, do I still think she's the best character in this book, or do I just Mm -hmm. remember what happens later with her? I do regret to inform you that Tenelka is not a lesbian, though. Cowards. Cowards all. Yes. Look, I saw how Jaina thinks about Tenelka. They are lesbians. You cannot convince me otherwise. I totally understand that. I think that that perhaps may have been a more interesting direction than some of the things that happened much later. Luckily, we just get to enjoy them as their 14-year-old selves in this book. But I love how Tenelka is so focused on like doing things correctly mm-hmm. um, that she... The jokes, the bad jokes that she hears from Jason don't even really phase her at this point. She also is harboring secrets about her family that she doesn't tell even her close friends. In that, well, she did grow up somewhat on Dathomir, which is a planet that is more low-tech. She also is the princess from the Heaps Consortium which is a collection of planets from a different book in the Star Wars EU that is a pretty major force in the galaxy. So she's also a very important princess, but she doesn't want them to judge her based off of that. She just wants to be a kid. Mm-hmm. I think that's respectable. She she has this attitude of also like, while they are all on the former rebel base ancient temple on Yavin 4 to learn how to be Jedi, Tenel uses the force like as little as possible because she prefers to do things through her own physical capabilities instead of using force powers. Yup. Which, yeah, I think definitely is like really enjoyable and also not something that a lot of people would write into their Star Wars book, I think. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people are very focused, you know, a lot of the fans want big, cool, epic powers and I think it's very cool that, especially for this, they want to focus on people that have different perspectives on it, and it allows them to tell a little bit smaller story here than yeah. the galaxy is being threatened. Do we want to do a quick run-through of the plot of the book, and then we can get into more details about things? Yeah, I think so. Well, since this is my introduction, I do you mind if I give a book report about it? Go right ahead. Cool. Uh, so yeah, we're introduced to Jason and Jaina. Uh, they're students at their Uncle Luke's Jedi Academy on Yavin 4. Jason kidnaps a bunch of animals from the jungle and keeps them in cages in his room. And one particularly a near-invisible snake, which is venomous in a way that only puts people to sleep and doesn't actually hurt them hurt them, has a habit of breaking out, apparently. And this snake is plot-critical in the amount of effort and time they put on characterizing them. I hope they show up in future books. Uh, Second favorite character after Tenelka. Life at the Jedi Temple is pretty lax uh they comment about how luke kind of gives the students leeway to study what they're passionate about he has some sort of like saying about oh jedi need to be familiar with 
the full tapestry of the universe, but really I think it's because Luke doesn't know what he's doing and he just has too many students to actually manage them directly. Because we know from the prequels that that's not actually how Jedi training goes. It's actually very strict and rigid. Yeah, it's really interesting because at this point when this book came out, the writers didn't really know that that's how it was going to go, but I think it it's more interesting to read it now and realize read it as Luke really having no idea what the Jedi were like or mm-hmm. how to train people. Yeah. We go through their days at the temple. We meet Rainer, who's a rich asshole. Um, let's see. There's a food fight through the use of the Force, which was a fun scene. Then Han Solo and Chewie show up to introduce Lobaka to everyone because they're there to help Lando Calrissian set up a mining station in the gas giant of Yavin 4 because Lando previously has great experience with mining and gas giants and nothing ever goes poorly for him there. Never. (laughs) Chewbacca gives Loey a kind of like a little speeder craft thing to build as like a going away present and using that they explore the jungle and they find the crashed wreckage of a TIE fighter from the battle of the first Death Star and Jaina says you know what I'm gonna me and my friends we're gonna rebuild this TIE fighter because I also want a thing to joyride in and I'm also going to install this hyperdrive my dad got me because nothing will ever go wrong ever in my life (laughs) <laughs> through my own decisions. Um, but then, surprise, the pilot of the TIE fighter survived the crash. A thing I understand is not common amongst TIE fighter crashes, because they're kind of death traps. Yes, TIE fighters are definitely death traps. They are kind of built as cheaply as possible, mm-hmm. and whether the people live or die is not really of importance to the Empire. In the woods... In the forest, in the jungle, there is the pilot of the TIE fighter who has been living on his own in the for- in the jungle for like 20 years, despite there being an active Jedi Academy on the planet for 11 years, hasn't encountered anyone. Eventually, Jason discovers his little carved out hutch, so he takes Jason and Jaina captive and forces them to finish rebuilding his TIE fighter so he can return to the Empire while uh, Loey and Tenel run back to the Jedi Academy to get help. Eventually, Loey is able to get to the Academy and contact Chewie, and Han and Chewie come back with the Millennium Falcon, scoop up Tenel, who just escapes from the jungle by the time that they arrive, and then there is a not exactly fight scene because the kids didn't hook up the TIE Fighters blasters and the Millennium Falcon just kind of chases it around for a bit before the pilot realizes, oh yeah, I have hyperdrive, I can just leave. And he zips off into the unknown and no one knows anything that happens, but everyone's safe, so it's a happy ending. Yup. I think that's the broad strokes of it. I think so. I think you got everything. One thing that is just a little thing to discuss that's not really important but will matter when we Mm -hmm. get there is how to pronounce the pilot of the tie fighter's name oh q-o-r-l yeah q-o-r-l quarrel quarrel 
I think is probably the best way to pronounce that, but it is a little odd. Um, yeah, I'd say either coral or quarrel. I kind of like quarrel because if my weird fantasy novel knowledge helps me, a quarrel is like a thing you shoot from a crossbow, uh, from I, a crossbow or something. I think s- something like that. Or it also sounds like you're saying quarrel as in a fight to have a quarrel. Yeah, I think that probably makes sense because he is very combative. The book does a good job talking about the amount of like brainwashing the Empire put him through. And he's very rigid and combative. And he's also kind of treated as like a disposable piece of ammunition for the Empire. So I think Quarrel is a good way to pronounce his name. Yo, I agree. He's interesting in how much... I, I, I like him as the antagonist of this book because he's so mm-hmm. small scale for these 14-year-olds on their first real adventure. Mm-hmm. And then they don't even fight him. His fight, the closest thing he gets to fighting is with their parents. And I think that's a very interesting way to start a series. Yeah, like he is one lone TIE pilot who has a ancient blaster, they keep calling it, super outdated, uh, against four young Jedi Knights. They probably could have won if they had fought him, but their first instincts are to run away because he's got a gun, which is scary. And they're just kids. So I think that's very accurate. Yeah. My one main problem with Coral is that the book talks a lot about how he broke his arm in the crash and it didn't heal properly. And it spends a lot of time talking about how he's disabled and making your villain disabled as a way to make them like weird or scary is shitty behavior. Yeah. I. The only thing I'm not sure on is how much it's doing that and how much it's mm-hmm. trying to use his disability to show how disposable he was to the Empire, that they didn't mm-hmm. provide prop, like him with the things he needed. And it's hard to tell because I feel like the book has a lot of like compassion for him in a lot of ways, but I don't know if it does in that situation. It's It talks about it a lot, but it doesn't like go into what it, what the characters think about that other than, oh, he has a broken arm. And it makes mm-hmm. it so he can't pilot his ship very well and stuff like that. But it it doesn't really matter to the plot or to how they view him. So it's a little odd. Yeah, it is a bit weird because the book does spend a lot of time humanizing him as a character. Which is cool because in the movies, TIE pilots and stormtroopers are just kind of faceless entities that don't really get... You know, they're treated very disposably. They're just kind of bad guys there to get shot and killed. And there's a lot of, like, humanity and vulnerability written into Coral. So it kind of edges that line between being gross and being, like, thoughtful. Mainly, I think, my problem is on the cover of the book, he's kind of got his arm clutched up against him and is standing sort of akimbo. And it almost looks like he's drawn, like, some sort of zombie or something. That's fair. I did not read it from a physical copy, um, so Mm -hmm. I wasn't looking at the uh, cover as much, so I didn't catch that. But yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I don't like that. But it is also, like, almost 30 years old at this point, so... Yup. They say that there's two sides to the Force, the light side and the dark side. Do we want to keep talking about the dark side of this book, or do we want to talk about the light side a bit? Let's keep talking about the dark side, I think... And we can end on the light side. I think that's a good place to go. The only major... wasn't really a 
major. But the only like significant dark side thing I had to say about the book is I really like that Jaina is like the oh, that reminds me I have two of these, sorry. <laughs> I really like that Jaina's like technologically adept. I like when girl characters are good at machines and stuff, but I don't like that it's kind of treated as like, oh, she just has a natural empathy for machines. I think that's a weird sort of cop-out. I was nervous about how they were going to approach it, but it does seem like she's passionate about experimenting and learning with it, so I think they did pretty well with what they had, but uh, that's more of a gray side thing, I guess. It's both good and bad, in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where I just... I think it's a little odd because cause I would cut a little bit more slack if the writers just were like, we write science fiction, but we don't really know much about technology, so you're kind of hand-waving it. Mm-hmm. But I think in looking up to see if there was anything interesting about the authors, I think at one point the one of the two authors, Kevin J. Anderson, did like technical writing. Oh. So you would think that he would be able to do a little bit more there on how that works. I think there is some interesting technical writing in the book. There's like a weird patching gel that automatically seeks out cracks and then hardens to fill them, which I thought was a neat little beta tech. Oh, yeah. And they do talk about like connecting, oh, these systems and intakes needing to be flushed and stuff. I think there's a good technical sort of flavor to when they talk about like rebuilding the TIE fighter and stuff. That's true. I think it was more when it's just talking about her room at the academy, I felt like it did kind of just gloss over, oh, there's a bunch of bits and parts everywhere. Yeah. But to some extent, it's also kind of, it's not technically from Jason's perspective, but it's when he walks in. So it feels kind of like he doesn't really know what there is in there. He just sees it as a bunch of technology. Yeah, just a bunch of bins of stuff. Which I suppose does bring me to one other dark side thing in the book, which is the way in which Jason interacts with animals as the empathetic one towards animals, which is Mm -hmm. to presumably lock them in tiny cages (laughs) and some of them get out and eat other ones. Mm -hmm. That did feel a little like inconsistent because it's like, oh, Jason is very understanding and empathetic to the animals. And at times he like uses the force to calm the animal and safely collect it. But other times he talks about how like he chased them down through the woods and tackled them to capture them. So it's like, what level of empathy are you really bringing to your menagerie that you're collecting in your room? Yeah. And just the number of animals that he has in his room how big is this room? Because you kind of need a lot of space to properly keep animals. It, it's interesting. I I think it's one of those things where they probably just didn't think that deeply about it. Mm-hmm. They just went, oh, he's the animal kid. And yeah. then moved on. And it kind of makes for some odd stuff going on there. Yeah, the size of the rooms is kind of vague. Because Jaina is building some sort of hydropower turbine thing as just a side project. And that's described <laughs> as taking up half of her room, but would be able to generate enough power to run the entire temple, potentially. So that's presumably very large. So 
I assume they're larger than regular dorm rooms, at least. Yeah, which does make sense since they're in an ancient temple. These were not Mm -hmm. rooms designed to be dorm rooms. They just were like, hey, there's a room there. It's yours now, I guess. Yeah, they do open with talking about how they had to clean the rooms out and then install things to make them livable, like heating pads and light sources and stuff. Yeah. And then the only other kind of dark side thing for me is... It feels like this book is very heavily influenced by the existence of a Star Wars RPG system. It it very much feels like these are characters kind of statted out to be played as player characters in a tabletop game. So the main reason why the Expand universe exists in the way that it does is because of a, the Star Wars RPG system. I knew it. Because to make Star Wars into an RPG, which of course they did, Mm -hmm. they had to systematize things and Mm -hmm. create all of these planets. And what that one weird looking ship in the movie, what's that called? Where does it come from? You know, they built all this background lore and then Mm -hmm. they decided to put that in a bunch of books. I didn't know that growing up, but looking back, looking into it, that's where they, the people who worked on it said that's really where it took off. There's a couple of books that come before that, but they're very different. Um, Splinter of the Mind's mm-hmm. Eye is the big one. It's the first one, but it came out before Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah. That was the one where the author like didn't know that Darth Vader was Luke's dad. Yep. And that's because <laughs> nobody knew because he also wrote the novelization for the first Star Wars movie. <laughs> So nobody, it's very clear that nobody knew that. So it is a book where Luke talks a good bit about just how pretty Leia is and how much he would like to kiss her. Oh, God. Because nobody knew. But technically, in the old Expanded Universe, as long as it didn't contradict everywhere, it didn't contradict the movies, that book was still canon until Disney declared all of it non-canon. It's also where some of the terms still used in modern Star Wars, like Kyber Crystal is a big one. Oh, That's where Kyber Crystal comes from, is Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Oh, I didn't know that. But yeah, I think it is pretty clear in how the characters are written that they are very RPG-like, especially, like, of that era. Yeah, like, especially when... um... Loie and Jaina were rebuilding Loie's speeder, and it was very clear they were saying, like, Jaina has the mechanic skill, and Loie has the computer skill. <laughs> yup. Oh, speaking of the computer skill, I remembered another thing. So Lobaka runs back to the temple. On the way, the clip that holds MTD breaks, and he no longer has his translator droid. So by the time he gets there, no one at the temple can understand him. And the way that they resolve this is he goes to the communications room and he goes onto the computers and he calls Chewbacca to relay everything to Han so that Han can then relay it back to the Jedi master who is currently in charge. Correct. If you are at the computer, did you not just (laughs) type on the computer screen? That is a very good question that I also had while reading this book. I think it was so they had an excuse to bring Han and Chewie back, but it doesn't do any give any other reason for it mm-hmm. other than because we wanted the Millennium Falcon in our book again. I guess maybe he can't actually... Like, I know 
Star Wars tech is weird and anachronistic at times. So maybe they didn't think there were displays like that or something, but also it's 1995, so I don't know how you didn't conceive of word processors in a space book. Well, because you would also imagine that they would have, like, a pen and paper that he could... Yeah, they talk about, like, data pads, and Jaina has schematics for the TIE fighter on a data pad or something like that. Yo. So they have... What the hell? Oh, what a weird, convoluted reason to have the the Millennium Falcon come back. Like, they could have just asked, been like, okay, we've, I've got to ask them. Yeah. But... Or they, like, he, Han's like, yeah, we're just about to leave Lando's anyways. So it wouldn't be unreasonable for Han Solo to stop back by the temple to visit his kids before leaving. So I don't know why he didn't just show back up at that time. I don't really understand that. Mm -hmm. It was a very odd moment. (laughs) Also, I do just need to clarify for anyone who is as big of a Star Wars nerd as me. I know they don't use paper. I know they use flimsoplast. I'm aware. Star Wars feels the need, oftentimes, Mm -hmm. to have things that don't need to be changed be changed. And one of those things is that no one uses paper. Right. They only use flimsy. Yep. Don't know why, but... Well, it's in a galaxy far, far away. It's not like they have a variety of plants that could be ground into pulp and then pressed into sheets of paper. You know, honestly, actually thinking about it, the number of sentient plant creatures in this book, maybe they don't do it out of respect for plant creatures, because it would be kind of weird if we still used vellum all the time and just wrote on skin. That's true. That Maybe that's why. That that would make more sense. Yeah. Do you have any more dark side bits? Uh, that's all the dark side bit I have. Well, I think in talking about the creatures, I think that's something that is one of my light side things from this book. Yeah. Is I really liked the various creatures that show up. Obviously, you mentioned mm-hmm. the crystal snake as hilarious as it is that it bites you and all it does is make you go to sleep for an hour Mm -hmm. but there's like the there's a giant monster early on in the book that shows up that has like eyes on tentacles coming out of its face triangular head and like six legs or something yeah that are described looking like tree trunks Mm-hmm. I just thought there was a lot of creative creature design for a book where you really could have gotten away with, and then there was a giant lizard. Mm-hmm. And also, um, Tennel runs into like these giant bats, but with two snake-like heads and a scorpion tail when she's running through the fort, through the jungle. So there's some really interesting creatures in this book. Yeah, I think they did a good job describing them. Another thing I really liked, I really enjoyed the food fight. I think that was a really cute scene that started because Rainer lost concentration while trying to levitate a thing of juice. And then Luke steps in and just pauses everything midair and says, really, you're using your force powers for this? Maybe use it to clean up instead and just drops food on everyone, making a huge mess, because Luke is a little chaotic piece of shit sometimes, and I love that. Yeah, I, it's really, really great. 
like it's a very silly scene, but in a way that works so well and feels very very reasonable. Like mm-hmm. this is how these characters would interact in this situation. I love especially Tenelka just immediately does not understand why all of a sudden <laughs> Jason and is fighting with Raynar, but is just mm-hmm. so ready to fight that she just is like, okay, I'm going to attack his friends. Yeah. Let's go. We're doing this. We're doing this. Let's go. It's like, I'm sure he has a good reason. Let's go. I'm doesn't even just like dogpiling the guy. It's like, he has friends. <laughs> They're going to get involved. I better keep them away from Jason. Yeah. Cut off reinforcements. She's very action first. And I love that. And I do really love just, you mentioned the chaoticness of Luke in that scene. And I do really like how Luke is portrayed in this, especially compared to like, I, Han is fine, but I don't think he, Mm -hmm. it's not that he doesn't feel like Han. He just doesn't get enough to really do to feel that much like a character. But Luke really does and has this complexity to him where he does things like drop food on everybody but is also a very, like, kind and patient adult to these... I mean, he is working with how many teenagers of various species? That's got to wear on you, and I do like how patient he is with them. I think it's very interesting. And especially in contrast to his kind of really having no idea what he's doing teaching them. Mm -hmm. Another light side thing for me was uh, I really liked Luke's little lesson about yoda speaking of chaotic little pieces of shit yoda's uh <laughs> do or do not there is no try thing and luke repeats that and rainer's like well what do you mean clearly you've tried things because you failed and luke talks about how just because what you do isn't what you intended to do doesn't mean that you failed and goes on to talk about how earlier in the academy there was an Imperial spy sent to learn from him, and Luke knew that and thought that, you know, by just teaching him the light side of the Force and being empathetic and then giving him this, like, vision quest sort of trial that he could help this person turn from the dark side. But the person ended up kind of rebounding and going in on themselves and fleeing from the Academy, taking everything that they learned with them which is probably a summary of something that happened in another EU book. I think it was really well described. And I also like how it parallels with how the kids dealt with Coral, the TIE fighter pilot, because Jason and Jaina try to emphasize with him and talk him into like, hey, we don't have to fight. You can come to the temple and we can get you better medical attention. Maybe we can help restore more use of your arm. And he shuts them down and eventually flees and goes off to try and reconnect with the Empire in whatever form it still exists. So they did. They didn't succeed, but they did connect with him. And I'm hoping in future books that thread is like picked up again and we see how their interactions with him pay off in the long run. So that story about um, the the Imperial spy is really good. And I was like, is that from a, another book? And I looked it up and that is actually at this point, not from another book. Oh, this is okay. where that's, it starts 
another later book does bring him tell some of that story later of mm-hmm. that, but it had not come out yet. I was wondering if it was from another book because the cover says that this was written by the author of the Jedi Academy trilogy. So I was wondering if that was a plot point from the trilogy that they are threading into their new series. Interestingly, it's not, but the book that it does come back in retcons some of the story from the Jedi Academy series (laughs) that this author wrote to put him in, which is written by a different author, (laughs) combining two (laughs) plot points from this author. It's very interesting, but the good news is that this is not the last you will hear of it if you continue on this series, because... The next book is called Shadow Academy. Shadow Academy. Yeah, I get a preview of it in the back of this book. And can you imagine that the Shadow Academy might have something to do with a evil Force-sensitive person? The Dark Jedi Brachis. Yes. Which I want to say is like a really good name for a kind of conflicted Dark Jedi person, because it reminds me of the term Brackish. Yo. Which is like a confliction of like turbulent waters that's really not pleasant to be in. But sometimes Star Wars names are good. I agree. I think that a lot of times they're a little silly, but that's mm. okay. Star Wars is allowed to be silly. Like when you spell Jason with a C-E instead of an S-O. Yo. Because that's how we know it's a space name. That's how you know it's a space name. I think that's all I really have to talk about. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, the only other thing is that just something I noticed in a comparison between this and current Star Wars is I remember when The Last Jedi came out, I saw a lot of people who were complaining about it, who were big fans of the old Expand Universe saying, Luke would never do this. He would never turn his back on one of his students if they were turning to the dark side. And I was like, I don't know that that's accurate. He's kind of, (laughs) his characterization changes from book to book a lot Mm -hmm. because there's a bunch of different writers. Nobody has the exact same idea of him. But going back and reading this, I think a lot of those people may have grown up on the Young Jedi Knights books and remember the storyline with Brachus Mm. and what he does there. And that's their idea of Luke. And I think that makes a lot of sense to do with Luke in a young adult series of having him be this incredibly gracious adult who teaches them, you know, to be kind, where he's telling a he's a different part of the story in those movies. But I I think that a lot of the other critiques don't make sense, but I can understand where they're coming from on that at least a little bit more because of this, um, which was just interesting to go back and see that and go, oh, I bet that's where that's coming from is these books, um, which was cool. That's really interesting because reading this book, I could definitely see how this version of Luke could grow into being the last Jedi version of Luke. Uh, slightly different, obviously, because the the series has three children of Han and Leia instead of just the one. So that's going to affect things. But I definitely see how he could become overwhelmed and burned out running this academy if things go poorly and then decide to retreat from the world. And a lot of things happen between here and if you're going based off the same dating Mm -hmm. when those movies take place in that universe. 
in the same yeah. age, a lot happens because I looked it up and I was surprised to see how far the EU had gone in that same time frame from these kinds of stories. So do we want to try to rate this book in some sure. way? So before we let go of this book and let it become one with the force, how many feet under do you want to bury it? <sighs> mix metaphors a bit i mean i personally uh i want to give this one a shallow grave i think there's some good stuff in here some stuff i think would probably need to be changed if they were going to adapt anything from it just because of how it's aged poorly but give it just a two-foot burial i'd say yeah i think i think about two feet makes a lot of sense i think there's a lot of really it's got a lot of really good ideas it wouldn't take a lot to make it into something that would be really good today. It would just take a little bit of fixing some rough spots and maybe cutting out about half of the references to the original <laughs> movies. I think you could very easily do with about half of them and definitely maybe don't uh, include referencing Lando as Han's dark friend, I believe is how it describes him. Yeah, yeah. You definitely a... could have gone without that one. That's all for Star Wars eulogy. So I'm Alice. I'm Spencer. And, and may the force be with <laughs> May the force be with you. May the force be with you. to figure out how to start this. No. Um, so I'd mentioned I had the idea of like opening it like we're holding a funeral for the book. Yep. Um, I went to Wikipedia and looked for funeral and uh, the canon article is funerals are a thing that happens and the legends article is funerals are a thing that happens but here's no details on like things they say at funerals. So I don't know if there is a Star Wars funeral equivalent of like dearly beloved we are gathered i don't even know if they say that's a wedding thing isn't it i don't know if they say that at funerals i've only yeah. been to like three yeah it's been a while since i've been to a funeral but i don't think i think that's a wedding thing but i'm not how to um, open a eulogy <laughs> so i vaguely remember that there was a like remembering the dead in one of the new jedi order books the ones with the yuzhan vong but i don't know where that's mm -hmm. at to look it up <laughs> yeah that's that is a problem with the entirety of the eu there's just there's just too goddamn much of it yeah and the only funerals we see in star wars they don't do any talking in the no movies. it's just either sad music or just a completely raucous party full of teddy bears <laughs> Yo, who may or may not be eating stormtroopers well, I don't think we need to speculate on that. They're definitely eating stormtroopers. We would like to thank the Podcast Minds for their one mic stand podcast jam, which this episode was originally created for. 
Our intro music is a portion of Desperation by Scott Buckley, used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. Our outro music is a portion of Remember the Heroes by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com, used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License.